Hello, and welcome to the Loft Gathering Podcast. We will be talking about the contents of your mind, mouth, attitude, and life actions, and how these are the staples to further understand our authority in God's kingdom. Get ready to have your thinking challenged and your faith turned up. Here's Lisa. Like 
Friday, I hurt my toe. I had this cute outfit planned. I can't wear my shoes. I was going to wear heels. And I couldn't because I can't wear close-toed shoes because I hurt my, sh my toe. And, and then I had a weird day yesterday. And then this morning, Ava just wouldn't listen. And then I'm here to teach about faithfulness. Because, you know, God, God really is faithful through all of those things. He's, he is. The, the definition of faithfulness is lasting loyalty and trustworthiness in relationships. The fact or quality of being true to one's commitments, being dedicated and steadfast. I always like to look at synonyms too. It's fidelity, loyalty, consistency. I love those things. It's being constant, being consistent, being steadfast, remaining loyal, being committed, following through with those things. I love that. God is faithful to us, and we are faithful to him. Of course, we're going to talk about the other fruits of the Spirit, Galatians 5, 22 through 23. I like the voice translation. It says, the Holy Spirit produces a different kind of fruit, unconditional love, joy, peace, patience, kind-heartedness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You won't find any law opposed to fruit like this. Good stuff. So if faithfulness is a fruit of the Spirit, which it is, then we as children of God already have a level of faithfulness inside of us. We are faithful because God is faithful. He demonstrates faithfulness first, and then we follow through. We trust Him. We trust His promises. We, we commit our lives to Him. You know, Psalms 146.6 says, He is the master of heaven and earth the sea, and everything in them. He remains faithful forever. We are faithful because he is faithful first. And, you know, God also has faith in us. He chose us. He chose each and every one of you to be his faithful son or daughter. You are his child. You are a child of God. That is incredible. doesn't matter who your parents are on earth. It doesn't matter where you come from. doesn't matter where your home is. God chose you for such a time as this to be his chosen faithful child. Love it. Isaiah 43, 1 through 4, it's like one of my favorite scriptures. It says, but now God's message. The God who made you in the first place, Jacob, the one who got you started, Israel. Don't be afraid. I've redeemed you. I've called your name. You're mine. When you're in over your head, I'll be there with you. When you're in rough waters, you will not go down. When you're between a rock and a hard place, it won't be a dead end. Because I am God, your personal God, the Holy of Israel, your Savior. I paid a huge price for you. All of Egypt with rich Cush and Seba thrown in, that's how much you mean to me. That's how much I love you. I'd sell off the whole world to get you back. Trade the creation just for you. God chose you. He traded everything just to have you. That's how faithful he is. He loves you that much. Um, there's a scripture, Romans 5, 8. I like to say it like this. He loved me at my darkest. The scripture is, while we were still sinners, he sent Christ to die for us. That he saved us. He loved you at your darkest. No matter what you've been through, no matter what you've done, he chose you to be a child. That is how faithful he is. He loved you even when you didn't even know him. First Peter 2.9 But you are God's chosen treasure. You are a treasure. 
Priests who are kings of spiritual nation set apart as God's devoted ones. He called you out of darkness to experience his marvelous light. And now he claims you as his very own. He did this so that you would broadcast his glorious wonders throughout the world. He chose us so we can bear fruit that represent his glory. Faithfulness is remaining unfailingly loyal to someone or something and putting that loyalty into practice. So some of the things that I've seen in my life that are faithful, great examples of it, my first one is my dad. I think of my dad. Um, you see him up here. He plays guitar. He worships. He does some of, some teaching every once in a while. Um, but growing up, like, my dad always loved my mom. Like, I don't, I don't really remember seeing you guys argue or fight when I was a little kid. But <laughs> mom said they did it in secret. Um, but I do remember how much they said they loved each other, how much they kissed each other and hugged each other in front of us, even when we were like, ew, gross. Um, but they always loved each other. That faithfulness has transformed me to be a loving, faithful wife. I love my husband, even when we argue, even when we fight. I still hug him every night. We talk about stuff. Don't go to sleep when you're angry. We do that. We love each other because I have seen a faithfulness between my mom and dad and their love and their commitment for each other. My dad also um, used to take us on daddy-daughter dates. Um, and my mom did too. My mom took us on mommy-daughter dates. We did do that. Um, but my dad would do that. And it's not, you know, you don't typically see that in our society, like dads taking their kids out. We, we don't see that very often. We always see the mom doing that or, you know, stuff like that. But my dad always did that. He made sure we felt special, that he saw us and that he wanted one-on-one time, one -on -one time with us because there are three girls. We, we are a lot. I don't know if you've met us, but <laughs> us together in a room, in a space, we... We vibe off of each other, but we also can compete for like the level of volume in, in the room. Um, but so to see that, see that faithfulness of my dad taking each and every one of us to do something fun. It For me, it was always car shows. I always watch car shows with my dad. Now Stacy always goes to car shows with my dad. Yeah. It's kind of funny. But um, I also see my mom, who is always teaching. She's always teaching. She always studying. She even said it. She's studying now because she wants to. She wants to have that connection with God. Not because she has to for church to teach, but because she wants to. She wants to be that. I see that dedication and that faithfulness in God. And, and I remember there was a time in my life where I was, let's say, not on the best path. I was making a lot of hard decisions, a lot of, a lot of bad decisions, honestly. I was doing everything I could. Um to get as far away from God as I could because I had gotten really hurt by a boy because of life. Life happens, and then I was just like, all right, well, if God said, said you should break up with me, all of this, then maybe God doesn't really want me, so why would I want him? And so I went, I partied, I drank, I had fun. I dated a guy who was awful, awful. He was the exact opposite of the person that I knew God wanted for me. And to the point where uh, my mom could see me and see me deteriorating. I was losing myself. I, w I wasn't, I wasn't happy. I wasn't happy. I was, I was almost anorexic. 
basket, right? Like I couldn't eat. And there were just things that happened like that. And mom was like, hey, we're going on a little trip. You want to you go? You remember those mommy-daughter dates we used to do? You want to go on a little trip with me? And it, I look back on it, and I call it my intervention trip. Um, but not because, not because mom said, you need to stop this, and you need to do that, and you need to figure your life out. She was just like, I love you. That is the faithfulness of God. A father for his children says, I know what you're going through. I see you. I see what you're dealing with. And I love you. And I'm going to pull you out of that situation, give you a new insight into what God has for you. That's being unfailingly loyal to someone who is not even showing faithfulness to you. What? Thank you, Mom. I appreciate that. That was like, ooh, that was like 15 years ago in my life. It was a long time ago. Very long time ago. But that's okay. Because um, we're, we're past that. There are obviously many examples of faithfulness in the Bible. We see Jesus perform many miracles, the faithfulness of God. There's Ruth. Um, you guys can read her story. It's in the book of Ruth. Um, she clung to Naomi. She said, where you go, I'll go. Your God is my God. And then there was Boaz, who became the kinsman redeemer. He said, I'll choose you. I'll take you. And, and it's awesome. The story's awesome. You read it. It's good. Good stuff. Um, also, kind of sexy stuff in there, too. Um, then there is Esther. Read her story in the book of Esther. Um, I mentioned this before, but it's, it's said in there, you were made for such a time as this. She saved her whole people because she risked her life. She was faithful to her God, faithful to her people, and risked her life to save them. Cool stuff. You've got Hannah. She wanted a child so badly. She was um, barren. She couldn't have kids. She was so dedicated and faithful and prayed to God so fervently, so hard, and was just like, God, give me a child. If you do, I will dedicate him to you. Guess what she did? She had a child. His name was Samuel, and he was dedicated to God. He grew up in church. Um, read that story, First Samuel 1 through 2. Great story. You've got Gideon, his stories in Judges 6 through 8. Um, he started with like an army of 10,000 or, or more. 10,000 soldiers fighting. He's about to go into battles. He's fighting and doing stuff, and he, God was like, it's too many men. And... <laughs> Uh, too many men to go take on battles, to go into a fight. He said, okay. So they whittled it all the way down to 300 men. Wow. 10,000 to 300 who went on to win many, many battles and fights and stuff. It's just, it's cool. It's cool stuff. Bible's full of cool stuff. And then one of my, I mentioned Jesus' miracles. One of the cool things is when he healed the government official's son. That's in John 4. So specifically in verse 50, it says, he, Jesus, when he was talking to the government, the gov when the government official, when he heard the voice of Jesus, faith took hold of him, and he turned to go home. He knew that his child had been healed. Without even seeing it happen, without Jesus touching him, he had faith. He believed that God was faithful enough to give Jesus this power to heal him. It's a miracle. I love it. So those are, those are all examples. Go read those on your own time. Great stuff to dig into. Um... Little, little side note before I go into my main example, which is faithfulness is a fruit. You know, we've talked about this. Faithfulness is a fruit because you have to work for it. Have you ever tried to plant anything? I know there are people who have green thumbs, who are gardeners, who are really, really good at it. I am not one of those people. 
I want to be very good at that. I want my house to be full of trees and greenery and ferns and vines and flowers. When I tried to grow a lavender plant out of a grow kit that's supposed to work, like you just follow the step-by-step instructions, you know what I grew? Mold. I grew mold. I don't know how that happened, but it grew mold. Um, I'm not good at that stuff. Now, am I giving up? No. I want, I want ferns. I'm going to try a fern next. We're going to see what happens. Not hardy. Not hardy. Um, but the thing is, when you plant stuff, you plant a seed in dirt and then you water it and then nothing happens. You don't see a thing. But we have faith that when we water it, it's gonna grow something and we follow the instructions, there's sunlight. But you plant the seed and then you water it and then you wait 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 and then you, wait, and then you see a tiny little piece of green growing from the you know ground. And then you're like, ooh, there's a little something. And then you water it and you wait for it and then you wait and you wait and you wait. And you're like, where is my flower? Where's my lavender? I don't see it. You have to wait and wait and wait. It's because you have to wait and water and prune and wait before you see the fruit. You know, Jesus said, I am the vine. You are the branches. He does the work. We are connected to him. I am the vine. You are the branches. When you're joined with me and I with you, the relation intimate and organic, the harvest is sure to be abundant. Separated, you can't produce a thing. We have to remain connected. We have to be connected to God. We plant ourselves in him. We water ourselves. We, we prune ourselves. And man, those things are hard. Those things are super hard to remain connected and to maintain our faithfulness. We need to study and prune. Studying is what I said, studying. Do you make time for God? Do you seek him out on a daily basis? Do you pray? What do you pray about? Do you just pray, God, help me get through this traffic, and then you don't say anything until nighttime? Jesus is like, or do you pray to God and constantly, God, thank you so much for the beautiful sun in the sky. Thank you for a new day where I get to breathe breath and life. Where, where are you connecting with God on a daily basis? I'm not saying you have to be in intercessory prayer where you're just on your hands and knees before God constantly. I mean, if that is your calling and your gift, do it. But it's not for everybody. Pray throughout the day. You also study by reading your Bible. Do you make time for God? Do you read? Do you do you read books that are God-inspired, God-based, scripture-based books that help you seek and understand God? Do you just read it? Do you read the Bible? Or do you study it? There is a difference between quality and quantity. If you just read and read and read and read without having a comprehension, having an understanding, where do you study? Studying takes time. And it is, I know, I work full-time. I'm a full-time mom. I'm a full-time wife. I do all of that. But I have to make time for God. I have to put that in. I have to study. And then pruning. Pruning hurts. Pruning hurts. That's like, you know when you have criticism, constructive criticism, it still hurts. You're like, man, I really messed up. I made a mistake. But then now you have understanding and reflection to know, okay, I can make a change. I'm going to cut that part off of me, leave that dead thing there, and I'm going to move forward. It's going to hurt while it heals, but it's going to heal. And it's going to grow, and you're going to adjust. It's like working out. You work out your muscles. Your body gets yeah. fatigued. You have to take a rest. But you're, you get sore, but you get strong. Mm-hmm. It's like that studying and proving. It's not for the weak of heart. All who has done this is a choice. Faithfulness is a choice. 
I think all the fruits of the Spirit are a choice. Because when we are saved, when we're Christians, we have, that's it, you know? That's it. That's all you have to do to be saved is believe in Jesus. Repent of your sins. Turn to him. That's it. But then, don't you want more than that? More than just that existence? I want the fruit of the Spirit. I want to be joyful. I want to be peaceful. I want to have patience and gentleness and kindness and faithfulness and goodness. I want to have self-control. To do those things, I have to choose that. We're not born that way. Children, little babies, they are born selfish. You know how much sleep I have missed out on? So much. Still, to this very day, I still miss out on sleep. Yes, my daughter's three. I know, and I'm not going to sleep for a very long time. And it's fine. It's fine. Um, but babies are born, they're selfish. They, all they know is when they're hungry, they're hungry. They're going to cry about it. We have to teach them patience. We have to teach them kindness. And then when they get old enough to make a decision, they get to choose whether or not to listen to you. Which was my morning today. You know, it's fine. We're here. We made it. We're good. Um, but it's the same with us. We have to choose those things. We have to choose to be joyful. I'm not saying fake it till you make it. I'm not saying put a smile on your face while you're in pain. I'm saying, yeah, I'm in pain, but I made it. I've arrived. I have survived 100% yeah. to this point. Yeah. When somebody asks you, how are you doing today? I'm good. How are you doing today? You know? I made it. I'm here. I'm good. I made it. It's different. It's a different tone. It's being being joyful on purpose, being peaceful on purpose. When life doesn't make sense, when there's chaos, when chaos is reigning, you choose to be peaceful. Because the peace that passes all understanding lives inside of you. God, or Jesus said, when he left this earth, he gave us a free gift, which was peace. That's a gift. That means we did nothing to deserve it. All we have to do is receive it. We have to choose that peace. We have to choose those things. We have to choose to be faithful. It's just like being married. You know? I have to choose to be faithful to my husband. Whether or not we are fighting, whether or not we are happy, whether or not I like him today. Which I do. I love him very much today. Um, but there are days when it's hard, when we're fighting and we're arguing we can't make the decision about something. Because we're people. We're human. We, we do that. Yeah. But we choose to love each other. We choose to live in peace. We choose joy in our relationship, in our marriage. In any, any relationship you have, it's like that. You have to do those things. These things all take resolve. You have to resolve it in you. So resolve means to decide firmly on a course of action. Firm determination to do something. To make a definite and serious decision. All these things take resolve. And when I think of resolve, I think of Daniel. Now, I'm going to read a lot of the Bible to you because Bible study. Come on, guys. Bible study. Um, Daniel is awesome. I'm going to start in Daniel 1, and I'm actually going to read this whole chapter to you. Okay? That's, yes. Huh? <laughs> apparently, apparently it's posted online. But Daniel 1, now it happened during the third year of King Jehoiakim's reign over Judah, the armies of King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon marched against him and laid siege to Jerusalem, Judah's capital. The Lord gave Nebuchadnezzar the victory and allowed him to take King Jehoiakim of Judah as his prisoner. At the same time, he permitted the Babylonian king to rob God's temple of some of its sacred vessels and carry them away to Babylonia, called Shinar, which was the land between the Tigris and Euphrates rivers, to fill the treasury of his own gods, Marduk and Nebo. After the king returned home, he commanded Ashpenaz, 
chief of the royal eunuchs, to bring some of the Israelites who had been taken captive to the palace. These included members of Judah's royal family and the nobility. Can you imagine that, just being uprooted out of your home? Because, anyways. He was looking for potential candidates from the exiles to serve in his court. Fit young men with no physical or moral infirmities, handsome, skilled in all wisdom, knowledgeable, discerning, and understanding. Those selected would be taught the language and literature of the Chaldeans, the people who lived in Babylonia. As part of their assimilation into Babylonian court life, the king offered them a daily portion of food and wine from his own table. This is, this is the result part. They were to be educated for three years before serving in the king's court. From among Judah's exiles, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were selected. Ashpenaz, chief of the royal eunuchs, gave them Babylonian names to signify their new identities in a foreign place. Daniel, he renamed Belteshazzar, Hananiah, Shadrach, Mishael, Meshach, and Azariah, Abednego. Now, just side note, they did this to further degrade them. They were literally removed from their home, brought to a different society, forced to learn their language, their ways, their customs, even had their names changed to serve under a king who worshipped a different god. And it also... Just history, little, little history side note. Um, it actually weakened the, the original people because they brought the best, the brightest, the most handsome, the most knowledgeable away from the people. So it weakened them even further, which is crazy. But so we've got the best and brightest over here being renamed. Cool. Being all that. So although the king ate only the finest Babylonian fare, Daniel was determined not to violate God's law and defile himself by eating the food and drinking the wine that came, that came from the king's table because the king ate food that had been sacrificed to his gods, Marduk and Nebo. Um, so Daniel asked the chief of the royal eunuchs for permission not to eat the food. Now God had give, given Daniel special favor and fondness in the eyes of the king's chief eunuch. Still, the eunuch was concerned. Ashpenaz is talking to Daniel. Belteshazzar, your request put me in a difficult position. I am afraid of what my lord the king might do. He has ordered that you were to eat the food and drink the wine prepared for his table. It's supposed to be the finest, most rich, like best stuff. What will happen if he sees you and your friends over time in poorer health than the other young men your own age? I am certain he will have my head. When Ashpenaz refused, Daniel reasoned with the guard whom the chief of the royal eunuchs assigned watch over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Daniel said, please do us a favor. Put us, your servants, to the test over the next 10 days. Give us a vegetarian diet and water, fruits, vegetables, things that wouldn't have been sacrificed to the, to the other gods. When the time is up, we can see for your, you can see for yourself our condition and compare it to the condition of the other young men who are eating from the king's table. Then after you have seen what has happened, do whatever you think is best with us, your servants. So the guard agreed to do as Daniel requested. He tested them on a diet of only vegetables, grains, and water for 10 days. When the 10 days were up, he looked them over and noticed that Daniel and his friends were better off than all the young men eating from the king's best foods. They looked healthy and well-nourished. So the guard continued to hold back their royal rations and replaced, and replaced them with a strictly vegetarian diet. So they did all that. It takes a lot of faithfulness to God to, to talk to your captor and say, 
hey, um, I know you want to give us this best, this finest stuff as we've been training to serve you after you captured us, kidnapped us from our hometown. Um, but I, I don't want to eat what you're giving me. Can you give me something else? I don't want to. I don't want to violate my my commitment to God. It takes a lot of resolve to stand up for yourself and do it, but they did, and they did it, and then they were better off. And then. Going further, Daniel chapter 2. There's a whole book of Daniel, really good stuff. I'm not going to dive into all of it. That was a lot to read. Um, but in Daniel 2, Daniel actually tells and interprets the king's dreams. The king actually said, um, I had this crazy dream that's keeping me up at night, and I need you to keep grab the magicians, the people that could interpret dreams, the sorcerers, you know, and he brought him before him. He's like, all right, tell me this dream. They're like, all right, we'll tell you what was your dream. He's like, no, you tell me what my dream was, and then tell me what it means. And if you can't, I'm going to kill you. Okay, that, that's who the king that Daniel was serving, he was forced to serve. Um, and because of Daniel's faithfulness, his resolve, God gave it to him. As all the other magicians and sorcerers and their families were being murdered and slaughtered because they couldn't tell the king what his dream was, um, Daniel said, this to God. In the middle, in the middle of all that craziness, God just, or Daniel took a minute to thank God. He said, "Praise the name of God forever and ever, for all wisdom and power belong to Him. He sets in motion the times and the ages. He deposes kings and assaults others. He gives wisdom to the wise and grants knowledge to those with understanding. He reveals deep truths and hidden secrets. He knows what lies veiled in the darkness. Pure light radiates from within Him. I recognize you." I recognize who you are, and I praise you, God, of my ancestors, for you have given me wisdom and strength. In the middle of all of that, he took time to thank God before he went, told the king his dream, interpreted it, and then saved all those other magicians and sorcerers and their families, even though they served a different God than him. And then you got Daniel 3. You guys know the story of um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, the fiery furnace? They wouldn't bow down to a god. They were Daniel's friends. Daniel was actually given more and more and more responsibility, raised up and up and up in that in that culture under the king. So his friends went there. They were saved. They were saved from the fire furnace. But they said, even if God doesn't, even if God doesn't, I will still believe. I will never give up on God. That is resolve. Whew, good stuff. And then Daniel 4, he interprets another dream. Daniel 5, there's the writing on the wall. He tells them what that means. And then in Daniel 6, that is the story of Daniel and the lion's den. Um, this, is, this is what it says. Darius decided, new king, new king Darius, decided to rule by stationing 120 officers strategically over the entire empire. Over the officers, he appointed three governors, including Daniel, and required each officer to report directly to them. This way, the new king hoped not to lose any territories from his recent conquests or the revenue they provided. Because of Daniel's exceptional abilities, it wasn't long before he distinguished himself over the other governors and officers. Dedication, man. Dedication and faithfulness to God. Favor. Love it. So the king decided to appoint him as head over the entire realm. This appointment did not sit well with the other leaders. So the governors and officers tried to find reasons to level charges against Daniel for the way he supervised his kingdom. Though they tried, they could find no basis for charges or any corruption in his office. Daniel was loyal and attentive in his duties. So they set him up. 
They went, they went to the king. Make King Darius live forever. All the leaders of the empire, the governors, prefects, officers, advisors, and other administrators have consulted together and are in complete agreement that the king should issue an edict and enforce it strictly to the effect that anyone who prays to another, whether divine or human, except for you, of course, good king, for a period of 30 days, should be thrown into the lion's den. After considering their proposal, King Darius signed that order. He said, okay, that sounds good. That sounds great. I'd love to be praised. I'd love to be worshipped. That sounds good. All right. Even though Daniel was aware the king had signed this ordinance in the law, he continued to do what he always did. He would go home, ascend the stairs to the upper room, which had windows facing towards Jerusalem, and get down on his knees three times a day and pray to his God and praise him. He wasn't going to let anything stop him from being faithful to his God. He has been faithful to him along this whole journey. One day, the conspirators came to his house and found Daniel on his knees praying and seeking God. So they went back to the king and asked to speak to him about the edict he had made. Oh, king, did you not sign an edict expressly forbidding anyone, regardless of his nationality, to pray to another, whether divine or human, except for you? Of course, good king, for a period of 30 days, or else you'd be thrown in the land of. Darius was like, indeed, I did sign it, and I intend to enforce it. Um, it can't be rescinded. Why, do you ask? The conspirators said, well, recently we found your servant Daniel, one of the exiles from Judah, kneeling and praying at his home three times a day to God. He is ignoring you, king, and the edict you signed. Uh, when the king heard the charge, he was very upset. He thought a great deal of Daniel, so he tried to figure out a way to help him. All day long until evening, he looked for some loophole in the law to keep Daniel from falling victim to his edict. Couldn't, couldn't be ignored. So after that, Darius, you know, brings Daniel. Daniel's about to be thrown in the lion's den, and he said, May your God, the God you have served so faithfully, rescue you. Daniel was thrown into the lion's den, and a stone was brought in and placed over the opening to shut the mouth of the dead. The king himself sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signets of his nobles. That way no one could tamper with the pit, and nothing could happen to change Daniel's fate. The king retired to his palace and spent the night fasting. That evening he stayed to himself, turning down his regular evening musical entertainment. When he finally went to bed, he could not sleep. When first light of morning finally arrived, the king got up and didn't waste any time returning to the lion's den. As he drew near the den, with anguish in his voice, he called out to Daniel, hoping somehow he was still alive. Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, the one you have served so faithfully, been able to rescue you from these hungry lions? And Daniel said, long live the king. As soon as you shut the mouth of this dead, my God sent his heavenly representative to shut the mouths of the hungry lions so that they could not hurt me. He has rescued me because I am as innocent before him as I am before you, O king. I have done you no harm. The king could hardly contain his excitement and joy. He ordered that Daniel be taken up out of the lion's den. He was removed and examined carefully, but not even a scratch was found on him, all because he put his trust in God. Awesome. Awesome stuff. Good stuff. Remaining faithful to God. That loyalty, that faithfulness. It is. It connects us. We are faithful because he is faithful. Fruit of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit produces a different kind of fruit. Unconditional love, joy, peace, patience, kind-heartedness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. You won't find any law opposed to these fruits. And since we're kind of wrapping up the fruit of the Spirit teaching, I, I like to think of love and self-control as the bookends to the other ones. Without these, the other ones kind of don't really stand up because you have to love people to be kind to them, to be good to them, 
to be gentle with them. You have to have self-control to be patient. You have to have self-control to be faithful. You have to have self-control to be good. Their bookends, they hold it all together. We must be unfailingly loyal to Jesus and put that loyalty into practice through prayer, worship, Bible study, and discipleship especially if we want to remain in charge of ourselves and still be full of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness. Thanks, guys. Thank you for joining us today. Remember to like and follow for the next installment of the Loft Podcast. If you want to be a partner with the Loft, you can give on Givelify.com. If you need more information, check us out on Facebook or at theloftgathering.com. And of course, join us 10.30 Sunday mornings. Hope you have a great week. Till next time.